But let's pray a moment as we settle ourselves. Father, thank you for this time to consider this theme, and we pray for your help by your Spirit as we do so. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this second series and episode two, it's entitled The New Eden, and the Star Trek crew are trying to get to the bottom of these mysterious lights that keep appearing in, in space. And they go to a distant planet called Telerisium, it's a bit hard to say, and it's inhabited by humans who have survived what was World War III. And at the center of the community that they discover is a quaint white church building. And so the crew enter, and Commander Burnham points one of those Star Trekky gadgets at a stained glass window in, in the building. And she then says that this glass is two centuries old, representing not just Christianity, but Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Shinto, and Wicca. Her device is clearly very clever. You can tell all those things when you point it out a window. And then Captain Pike goes up to the front of the church building, and he stands at a podium like this, and he leaves through a big book on the reading desk, and he muses about it, saying, this book is some kind of new scripture. And then Captain Burnham gives her analysis of what they are discovering and says, anthropologically speaking, it seems they cobbled together a religion based on the primary faiths of earth. And the natives then make a dramatic entrance and stereotypically they take the crew to their leader, who in this instance is called the All-Mother. Are you still with me? So the All-Mother retells how they were rescued from earth by this strange angel-like figure. And they were left with the question, well, in light of our rescue, who is it that we ought to thank for the salvation, as she puts it, that they have all experienced? Which God are they going to thank? There were so many faiths among these survivors from World War III. How would they resolve such a quandary? And then there's a little, you know, dramatic pause. And Captain Pike says, by combining all religions into one. And the All-Mother serenely nods her approval. It seems a very reasonable approach to take to things. You know, there's many traditions out there. There's many scriptures. We each only have a limited insight into the divine and the salvation that whatever that divine is might, might bring. So rather than arguing about it, why not just accept we all have our, our own path and all those paths lead to God and just combine all religions into one, whoever we think God may be. So that's the argument of uh, religious pluralism like that of the New Eden in that episode of Star Trek, it's considered progressive and inclusive. To insist, on the other hand, that one religion leads to God only is considered regressive, arrogant, exclusive, and totally unacceptable. What I want us to think about today is, does that kind of position around pluralism actually make any sense? So the new Eden episode in Star Trek is not at all new thinking. 
This is a very long debate, long debate, old debate, I should say, that has gone on for years. And there's an ancient fable of an elephant that has a number of blind men around him or her trying to figure out what this creature is. And because they're all blind, they don't understand what it is. So some hold the tail and think this creature is a rope. Some hold his trunk and think the creature is a snake and so on. And so they each make an assessment about the animal. But because of their relative ignorance and their blindness, they assume that their description of the creature is right, when in fact it's not. And the moral of the story is that each religion is like that. They each have only partial knowledge of God, of religion, and they each mistakenly make absolutized statements about it. And they each say they have their exclusive truth. But actually, they're just like the blind man holding the tail of the elephant and saying that it's a rope. Therefore, as with the stained glass windows in Star Trek, the reasonable thing to do is just to lump all religions together because nobody really knows. And all roads lead to the same place in the end anyway. So goes the argument. So I want us to think about this very old analogy. And it is modernized in things like Star Trek, and you see it in, in modern debates and all sorts of forums. I want, to, I want us to help think about why this kind of analogy really doesn't work. Because you can see that what's on that screen is not a snake, and it's not a rope, it is actually an elephant. So the elephant in the room in this case is actually an elephant. Everybody is wrong about the fact that it's an elephant. That doesn't change the fact that the thing is an elephant. There's also a problem with the fact that somehow there is an observer, an invisible observer, who can objectively look into this scenario and say that there are a number of blind men around what is an elephant who are getting the identity of the elephant completely wrong and therefore all religions are like that. But where is the vantage point coming from, this objective vision into this scene, to make that point? Somebody has to say from their superior objective position that they think that's what's happening. And that that is not actually inclusive. That is an exclusive point of view, looking on from what is said to be an objective vantage point. To say that about all religions is to say, I alone can see that. I can see that all religious truth claims are in fact false. I have risen to the supreme point of objective revelation and I can tell you that it's like a bunch of blind guys making wrong statements about an elephant. So what I'm trying to get at is a pluralist approach to religion is not as generous as it seems because it must occupy its own exclusive position in order to assert the argument it's making against exclusive positions. And in the process, it bulldozes over the beliefs 
held so passionately by each of the world religions, it's seeking to say ought to be equally respected. And I want us to think a little bit about also how illogical this is, to quote Spock, if you're into Star Trek. It doesn't make any logical sense. Combining all religions into one is absolute logical laziness and nonsense. Let me help explain why. The centerpiece of Christianity, what we believe to be emphatically, absolutely true, the centerpiece of Christianity is around Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. We believe that Jesus is fully God who became fully human, that he is the creator of all things, that he came to die on the cross to reconcile us to God and that he rose again from the grave. So look at this passage from Colossians where we read, For Christ was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's what the Bible says. Now what does this book say, the Quran? What does it say? It teaches that Jesus was not God, that he was another human prophet, and not only did he not die for anyone's sins on the cross, he did not die on the cross at all. So the Quran in Surah 4, verse 157, you can read it here later if you want, it says, and for their saying, that is Christians, Indeed, we have killed the Messiah, Jesus, the son of Mary, the messenger of Allah. And they did not kill him, nor did they crucify him. But another was made to resemble him to them. And indeed, those who differ over it are in doubt about it. They have no knowledge of it, except the following of assumptions. And they did not kill him for certain. Is there any ambiguity about what, that, what the Quran is saying there? I don't think so. You not see the crown in this pulpit very often, I suppose. But logically, people, whatever your convictions are, Jesus cannot be God and God at the same time. That's just nonsense. Jesus can't have died on the cross and he can't have died on the cross and not have died on the cross at one and the same time. You can't have both. You can argue for one religion over the other, Or you can argue that they're all nonsense, but to argue that they're all equally true is just logical incoherency. It makes absolutely no sense. <clears throat> you can reject them all, but they can't both be right in the case of Christianity and Islam. So there is an assumption at work that the world religions are fundamentally the same with superficial differences. But actually, in fact, the opposite is true. The world religions are fundamentally different with superficial similarities. The religions of the world flatly, flatly contradict one another. There's no getting around that reality. I've just demonstrated it to you. And that's why each of them claim exclusivity. 
Any attempt to lump them together is illogical, and to do so, you must create an alternative exclusive truth. And you must say that what those religions who claim exclusivity are saying is false, which requires you taking your own position above them. Now, you may, of course, say, well, what's it matter? Because surely God is bigger than all that anyway. And the whole God thing is so mysterious. In that question, you're going to have to assume God exists. And you must assume a definition of his character. And you must assume that that character is indifferent to how he's portrayed and worshipped. Now, those are a lot of assumptions if you're going to go down that road. Here's somebody who did a bit of thinking about it called Herman Bavink. He says... If religion really does contain a doctrine of God and of his service, it is self-evident that God alone has the right and ability to say who he is and how he wants to be served. Religious indifferentism, or pluralism, assumes that it is immaterial to God how he is served. It deprives him of the right to determine the manner of his service. So to make the supposedly humble claim that all ways of worshipping the divine, are equally valid. You are in effect saying that the God of your own definition hasn't expressed his wishes or he doesn't care anyway. You must assert that all other religions who say that he does care are simply wrong on that point. You must therefore assume an alternative belief system about the nature of God. It just happens to be the one you prefer. So the irony is you end up doing the very thing that pluralism reacts to in the first place. That is, the making a definitive statement about the nature of God and how it is we ought to relate to him. Some, no doubt, will think that we're just overthinking it. And what about if we just all settle on, well, look, whatever floats your boat, you know, sure, it's all grand. Why take it all so seriously? Surely, if it's good for you, what does it matter? But why would it be good to believe something that is just a moral fairy tale or is not factual? Why would it be good for me to proclaim that Jesus was fully God, fully human, that he came to earth in time and space, that he lived the perfect life on my behalf, that he died for my sin, that he rose again factually and believe that? if it's all actually just a fairy tale. What is good about believing something that is actually false? If it isn't true, you should pity Christians, not congratulate them. Why would you ever congratulate somebody for believing something that's only a fairy tale? Would you do that in any other category of your life? And this is what the scriptures themselves insist upon. So the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. He's not speaking in metaphorical terms here. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith 
You see how he says it's, it's useless, quite plain. Faith that is not based on the reality of Jesus in space-time history events is useless. Nothing to be congratulated about. No good for you that makes you feel better. Useless, says Paul. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. Liars. Something else I challenge people when they put that to me. I say, do you think it's good that I publicly lie in the city center once a week to a room of people who are believing the lies that I speak? Do you think that that's a good thing? No, I'm not saying you're lying. But that's what the book I preach says. And he says, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, here he goes again, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep, that's those who have died in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. See how categorical it is. Not all good for you, whatever floats your boat. Lies don't float boats. Not according to the scriptures. So regardless of your moral conviction on these issues, logically speaking alone, you must arrive at the conclusion that all religions cannot be true at one and the same time. The contradictions are just insurmountable. Yet, in one fundamental, categorically true respect. I do believe that all roads lead to God. And it can be argued that all roads do indeed lead to God. Look at this verse, these verses from Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So what the scriptures are teaching is that all religions will lead to the acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God. The religious and irreligious alike will stand before him one day. Everyone will meet their maker. You will meet your maker. You will encounter the person of Jesus Christ. We ask, do all, relig do all religions lead to God? But the good news of Christianity is that God himself made the journey to us. He made the path to us. Jesus was God in the flesh. He becomes human. He comes down to us. He didn't ask us to go up to him. He set aside all his comfort and splendor to attach his life to, him, to an umbilical cord and become a human. He gets his hands dirty 
and he presses into the feet of our road. And what does he do? He leads a perfect, beautiful life and is slaughtered on a cross, head to toe in the blood, sweat, and muck of the worst of us. And why? It was for our reconciliation to the God we rejected. That is how God makes amends. He takes our punishment in the person of Jesus and he makes peace. He dies, but he conquers death and is raised to the position of cosmic authority. It is the throne of Jesus Christ that sits at the ultimate trajectory point of all reality for everyone, for all time. He is the God we all meet. All religions lead to him and him alone. And all will confess that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. But only those who trust him and his cross will shout that truth with joy as they embrace him as Lord and Savior. And those who have not trusted him will state that truth with dreadful resignation. And so the question is, how will we confess his name? And how will we communicate to the world around us as to the nature of the reality of how the Lord has made himself known to us in the person of Christ? The all-mother in Star Trek pondered, who do we thank for this salvation? Which God? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christianity is exclusively inclusive. Truth only in Jesus, but truth open to all without distinction. So let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. As we read in Isaiah, that there is no God apart from you, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none but you. So may we turn to you and be saved. May all the ends of the earth do so. For you alone are God and there is no other. We acknowledge, Lord, that before the Lord Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. May that truth govern our every day and our lives together as a community. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've been very quiet on questions up till now, but is there any questions you'd like to ask me? Now is your opportunity on this theme.